And now, a brand new segment on Cinemaholics Public Radio. It's Dear Abby. That's me. I'm Abby, and I'm back to answer more of your letters. Our first letter this evening comes to us from Bill of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Dear Abby, that's me. Dear Abby, I've been having a rough time at work lately. There's this guy who's been picking on me lately and telling me that my movie reviews are shallow, superficial, and unfair to Adam Sandler. How should I deal with this bully? Hmm, that's a tough one, Bill. Maybe, just maybe, I have some advice for you. The first thing you need to do is stand up to this person giving you some trouble and dish it back to them tenfold. This can include all kinds of creative little quirks and tricks, like smashing his windows in with a tire iron, stealing his imaginary girlfriend from Canada, or maybe sabotaging his film reviews by confusing him and making him too angry to speak. Ultimately, Bill, he's just jealous. He's just jealous that he can't do even more things to bully you because you haven't stood up to him yet and enacted vengeance. All right, our next letter is from someone named Anon of Northern California. Anon writes, Dear Abby, that's me. Dear Abby, there's this guy I review movies with who really bugs me all the time. He texts me and distracts me during movies I'm watching and tells me I'm lame for liking things he says are not interesting one way or the other. How do I wake up this artistic soul to the wonders of Adam Sandler's D-material? Hmm. That's an easy question to answer, Anon. First of all, just writing Adam Sandler's D-material is a sharper joke than anything we've seen in his Netflix movie since 2017, and you should definitely not take that as a compliment. Secondly, it sounds like this film reviewer you work with is just trying to test your limits and make you a better critic. Obviously, that's pretty messed up on his part. So what you need to do is trick him into watching a terrible, low-budget CGI animation movie from the mid-2000s and tell him it's for a film review you're working on. Then, after he sees it, tell him you are pranking him and smash his car windows in with a tire iron. That'll really help you deepen your bond as colleagues and keep this fellow on his toes. And if all else fails, you could always rent a kayak for the river you're crying right now. Well, I guess that's just about all the time we have this week on Dear Abby. That's me. Next week, I answer even more questions, including one from a woman in Canada who's sick and tired of people claiming to be dating her. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Agurney, box office columnist for Adam Tickets and editor-in-chief of Cinemaholics.com. From Pittsburgh, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also reviews films for Cinemaholics. It is Bill Ashton. Oh, sorry, Will Ashton. Hello. From Kansas City, she's the film editor for The Pitch. With bylines from Slash Film to Crooked Marquee, it is Abby Olchesi. Sorry, I love rhyming that. It's fun. <laughs> Hello, and thank you for the thank you for the rhyme. I should probably reorder it so I don't fall into that trap next time. <laughs> but all right, you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on cinemaholics.com, including our written reviews. Don't forget to send us an email anytime you want to reach out to us. Our email is cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And please consider becoming one of our monthly patrons. We love our patrons. Check out patreon.com slash cinemaholics. You can find tiers to support us and also Cinemaholics merchandise, including mugs, including t-shirts, even hoodies, all kinds of fun stuff like that. You can also find Cinemaholics merch by emailing us your requested merchandise item. Okay, this week we are going to be talking about some scary, spooky movies and some interesting artistic indies. Very exciting episode. Kind of a mix of those two grab bags. But first, off topics, Extra Milestone, our film anniversary podcast on this feed, just put out the latest Sam Nolan, Ryan Oliver of The Playlist, and me, John Agroni. We talked about two films this week on Extra Milestone. First is Rashomon, the classic Akira Kurosawa film, which just celebrated 60 years. No, wait, 70 years. <laughs> That's 1950, and I am terrible at math. But yes, that movie came out in 1950. We talked about the classic film and its influence. And then right after Rashomon, we talked about the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which came out in 1975, which that's uh, 45 years, if I'm not mistaken. Since it's released, that also just celebrated an anniversary. I'm not as big of a fan of Rocky Horror Picture Show as I explained in that episode. But Abby, Will, these two movies, uh, what are your, where do you stand on them? And uh, 
are they extra milestones in your book? Start with you, Abby. Yeah, I I I think they're both great films. I actually like Rocky Horror Picture Show pretty pretty well. It was it was a, a formative movie for me, so I'm I'm happy mm. to see that that's getting celebrated. I know it's not everybody's thing, but I liked it a lot. I'm glad it's people's thing. It's just never been mine, and it's just. Uh... It's unfortunate on my part, um, but I think we'll—I don't know if we've ever talked about Rocky Horror before. I think we've—we have, but I don't remember exactly. I don't remember. Um, yeah, I mean, I—I I enjoy Rocky Horror Picture Show. I know uh, locally here in Pittsburgh, it's always a big thing to show that at midnight and to do all the theatrics and you know throw things at the screen, have people sing and all that stuff. So I think it's more the experience I value than the movie itself, which I'm kind of like I'm fine with it. I think it's fine. It's it's an enjoyable film, but I, I think the the cumulative like. Uh, theatrical experience of it is what is more the Rocky Horror experience in my view. And the sequel's not that bad either. I don't know if you've, either of you have seen it. But... We did talk about the sequel, yeah. Shock Treatment. Yeah, I enjoyed and, it. Well, you know, <laughs> if you want an alternate opinion on that, Sam had Sam had some thoughts on Shock Treatment that are pretty interesting. But if you want to hear more about Rashomon, Rocky Horror Picture Show in detail, Ryan is a huge fan of Rocky Horror. So it was great to talk to him about that film and why he loves it so much. And uh, I, I just have a few jabs, but I say nice things because uh, there are a lot of nice things to say about that movie. And uh, it's such an underdog. But all right. Also on our Patreon exclusive podcast, A Nice Place to Visit, their latest episode is coming out, episode two. That should be up by the time you are listening to this. That is the Twilight Zone podcast that Sam Nolan does with Adonis Gonzalez every other week. If you want to learn more about that, just check out our Patreon to find episodes of that and if you become one of our patrons, you get access to a nice place to visit and Game Over Man, the other patron exclusive podcast that Sam and Adonis do. Definitely worth your time. All right. So I I made a big mistake last week. Uh, we were reviewing a bunch of films and there was one film we were supposed to review. We had it listed out. I was ready. I was the only one who saw it. I was ready to talk about the new Netflix movie, The Boys in the Band. And I messed up because... we. We finished the episode without getting into the boys in the band, which uh, that's that's totally my fault. But I'll I'll say real quick, you know, kind of a mini review here. I did enjoy the boys in the band. I thought it was a little deeper than I was expecting. I had never seen the stage play or the original nineteen. I think it's nineteen seventy film is when it came out. Uh, groundbreaking film, and we have a, a written review if you want something in depth on cinemaholics.com, written by our very own Lizzie Combs. But Boys in the Band, it stars Jim Parsons and Zachary Quinto, Matt Bomer, uh, plenty of other people who it's like an all gay cast. I believe all of them are gay uh, with maybe one exception. And it's just it's a small movie. It's uh, Ryan Murphy's latest Netflix thing. And it's about a group of gay men living in the 1960s who kind of pontificate during a birthday party about coming out, about the different ways they deal with um, accepting or admonishing their homosexual lifestyle in New York during this time period. It's kind of a weird movie because it's it feels a little bit like an artifact. It feels like it's sort of about something, uh, a very different time period i kind of likened it to like what if we watched the like if somebody had remade the big chill in 2020 but it still took place in 1980 like you kind of see how it's kind of like why would you do that like what why would you remake a movie at a different time period doing that i would i don't know i'm kind of curious what a movie like this would be like if they had remade it but then updated the time period i'm not sure but that's just me kind of uh Finding this film pretty interesting to talk about. It's got some weird stuff in it, some uh, rough edges in terms of like certain characters saying certain slurs and there's violence in this film that uh, like very quick, but it, I don't know. There was some stuff in it that was kind of tricky territory, but ultimately there's really good performances. It's just, you don't really get them from Jim Parsons and Zachary Quinto, unfortunately. I think for whatever reason, they're the two characters in here that I just could not really click with. But everybody else is so good, they kind of raise the profile of the movie quite a bit. So as far as Netflix movies go, especially the one we're going to talk about this week, I'd say it's pretty strong if you're interested in the material itself. And it did make me curious to watch the original because I still haven't seen that. So that's that is the Boys in the Band review I was supposed to do last week that I kind of truncated this week. Thank you for listening to that. Um, 
With that, uh, I guess we could just jump into our featured reviews. We've got quite a few to discuss this week. And I've had a really busy, I've been in a really busy uh, season of my life the last few weeks. I haven't been able to watch nearly as many movies as I want to. But fortunately, Abby and Will have been picking up the slack. We are going to start with the one film that all three of us did see, and that is the new Netflix film, Hubie Halloween. Well, hello, my ghouls and goblins. I know you've got your costumes picked out for the frightful festivities. <laughs> and I hope you all get more treats than tricks. Halloween's upon us! Is he a good guy? Hubie Dubois is the nicest guy in this town. Here is some happy Halloween word searches. You can pass it out to the kids. Thank you so much. As a trained volunteer, I know what it's like when your spooky fun gets out of hand. Oh, but you did. No, no, no. The supermarket's selling expired bacon. Janet at the library has not been herself lately. I heard a voice in the sewer. I'm sorry, I didn't recognize her. All right, Hubie Halloween. It is a horror comedy. It is directed by Stephen Brill, who I think is pretty well known for his like Happy Madison films. He's been a director and screenwriter for things like Little Nicky, Mr. Deeds. Uh, I think his filmography goes back to like Drillbit Taylor, uh, even farther to like Heavyweights. I think he worked on. Um, I think he had an appearance in The Wedding Singer. Uh, if I'm missing anything, uh, forgive me. And then I think he is the director of one of the films considered one of the worst films of like the 20 teens, which is movie 43. And he also directed a film that I maintain is not that bad. I actually enjoyed a bit. Sandy Wexler, the one of the first Adam Sandler Netflix films that to this day, Will Ashton wishes I that is an opinion I did not hold. But yeah, uh, Stephen Brill, not not exactly a director with the best filmography, but uh, is well known. I think Mighty Ducks, he was a screenwriter. I think um, Heavyweights is yeah. probably what some people would consider his best movie. A very varied filmography, I suppose. Yeah, the, more more misses than hits, I guess, if we're being sure. generous. But I mean, that's a staple of Happy Madison, I think, is more misses sure. than hits. <laughs> But yes, Adam Sandler appears in this film. He also produced it and co-wrote it with Tim Early. And it's a pretty big cast here. This is another instance of Adam Sandler sort of fitting in a lot of his friends to be in a movie. And also some you know faces that you don't typically see in Adam Sandler movies unless I just haven't been watching enough of them. I mean, you have Kevin James, Rob Schneider, you have Steve Buscemi. We, we tend to see them in these things. But then we also have um, Julie Bowen from Modern Family. We have Ray Liotta yeah. in here for some reason. June Squibb, who I think is the the best character in this. Uh, Keenan Thompson, who's probably in second place for that. Uh, Maya Rudolph as well. And then there, there's like a surprise appearance by somebody who you, won't, you probably wouldn't expect a million years. And I won't give away that, um, that, that appearance there. But okay. Abby Olchesi, can you walk us through the plot of Hubie Halloween and what did, what did you think of this one? Uh, yeah, I actually, against my better judgment, I kind of liked Hubie Halloween, but we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, so it takes place in uh, Salem, uh, Massachusetts, home of the witch trials, and uh, Adam Sandler is uh, Hubie Dubois, um, which is a, a name that gets a lot of it, it gets a lot of jokes made about how goofy it sounds throughout the movie. Um, he is kind of a well-meaning goofball who uh, loves Halloween but scares very easily and gets made oh, yes. fun of a lot by the other townspeople. Um, and he uh, he's, he's big on Halloween enjoyment and safety and has a lifelong crush on uh, Julie Bowen's character, uh, Violet Valentine, who he went to high school with. Um, so this particular Halloween becomes, um, uh, kind of a crazy adventure for, for Hubie. He has a strange new neighbor played by Steve Buscemi who, uh, warns him that there might be some strange noises coming from his house. And so maybe he shouldn't be too worried about hearing all those noises. Cause you know, it's important that he have his privacy for reasons, which we find out later. Um, and, uh, also there's a, there's an escaped, uh, patient from a mental asylum on the loose that the police are trying to find. And also something, someone is kidnapping uh, 
members of the town who have been particularly mean to Hubie and uh, nobody quite knows where they are ending up. So Hubie is trying to get to the bottom of all of these mysteries. Um, and at the same time, uh, Julie Bowen's children uh, are son and um, uh, I think two of her foster daughters yeah. are kind of off on their own Halloween adventure. So those are kind of the two things running in parallel. Which I thought if you were going to take anything out of this movie, 100% take out the kids subplot because it really is just like no point to it except to, I, I guess it's interesting to see Noah Schnapp uh, in a like older now. This is the kid from Stranger Things, Will Byers, who is now like he has gone through puberty. So like I feel like this is the first time we've seen in a movie where he's a little older. He's like more of an older teenager, but still kind of a freshman in this. And the, yeah, the two daughters, like, yeah, that's just like a subplot that really doesn't have a point to it, but okay. Will Ashton, it sounds like you're the biggest fan of Huey Halloween between all three of us. Am I? I don't think so. I mean, I'm just being facetious. Yeah. I mean, I don't, but that's the thing. It's like, I don't, I don't think I'm that negative on the film either. I mean, I have been critical of Adam Sandler comedies. I mean, I think most people have. Uh, at least one way or another over the years. But this one, I mean, I think between the week of and murder mystery, which if I'm rem- if I'm remembering correctly, were the last two under his Netflix contract. Um, so. It's yeah, this is kind of following that city stream where it's like the earlier ones were like pretty bad, boarding on terrible. And now he's kind of finding his groove in like mediocrity. And I don't mean mediocrity in like a bad way. I mean, like, it's like a nice kind of like comfortable streaming watch, especially nowadays where things are, you know, very anxious and anxiety inducing and stressful. It's like this movie doesn't really have lofty ambitions. By and large, it's kind of a half-baked concept and a character that's like kind of foreign, but not fully. But I mean, I do think that like most of the Sander comedy comedies where he is doing like a kind of goofy affectation and kind of playing it up like this, there is a warm sincerity to it that doesn't feel like offensive or like fully like mean-spirited like i think there is a sincerity to it that is kind of charming and sweet and there is a good bit of energy and inspiration here as far as the halloween horror elements to kind of boister up the comedy particularly around the middle where i felt like it was starting to lag a bit and i think like you were saying john like the kind of extra subplots weren't really adding much to this whole thing and it was kind of feeling like it was overextending itself but as far as as far as like a netflix film because i don't know if i should really compare as like a regular like movie because it does feel like very much like a netflix exclusive to me like it it's fine it's good like background content for seasonal watch i think you kind of zone out of it at times and come back in and not really miss much because like the mystery itself is pretty basic the comedy itself is kind of repetitive but i i do think there's enough here that i think people are going to like it i think this is one's going to be a little bit more rewarding to people than some of his other netflix films but i mean it's fine it's not terrible or bad even it's just i think a fairly okay Adam Sandler Netflix comedy. Yeah, it's pretty accessible. Like I could actually watch this with like not a kid, but like an old like maybe a preteen as somebody who's as young as like 12, 13 years old. This is like humor that they would probably find funny. I, I kind of made the joke too that this really feels like a film I would have seen in like a friend's basement in 2005. You know, it's like it's in that sort of like Talladega Nights, Mr. Deeds, like that, just that kind of like sense of humor that is pretty, pretty goofy, pretty restrained. And for like the vast majority of people, that is totally all right. That's kind of what they're in for. It's just one of those movies that, like, yeah, you have to really manage your expectations and not go into it expecting the funniest movie of the year. I did find this movie funny, though. I, there were like a good portion of jokes in here that I thought worked pretty well, like to the point where. So much of it is like not really funny, but then a bunch of it is that whenever I did find something funny, I was like pleasantly surprised. I was like, oh, that actually was funny. And there was a couple of times where I actually rewind, rewound the film to to replay a joke because I thought it was that funny. Like that that never happens anymore. It seems like even films I find pretty funny, uh, they just tend to not really tickle my funny bone enough for me to want to like immediately rewatch it. So that was, that was a fun thing in terms of the concept of this. This really does feel like a movie based on an SNL skit, even though it's not, but I kept thinking about that the entire time. It was like, this is something, especially with all the SNL actors they have in this, that it does really feel like 
I wouldn't be surprised if like in the late eighties, Adam Sandler had played this character and I just didn't realize it. And they decided to make a movie out of it. That, that's kind of like the, the feel this thing has. But yeah, I guess the last, there's, there's like funny recurring jokes in here, but then there's other ones that just keep happening for some reason. Like there's this running joke where things are thrown at him and they get like increasingly like more dramatic. There's like a thermos that just can do anything that I thought that's a fun concept. You know, it's like very harmless fun, but then there are some jokes. I think the, the fact that he's scared at everything, it's never that funny, but they keep doing it for some reason. And there was some slapstick like that. That was just really like, okay, you know, when does this thing end? But yeah, I I can't say that I heavily disliked this. I, I found enough in it to, to enjoy an early Halloween evening at home. But uh, yeah, so Abby, what what do you think? Do you, is this is this better than you think we're describing, or do you think we're all kind of around the same area? No, I think I I liked it. I think about as much as you did, John. Um, I I went into it with kind of unsure and low expectations. It, it's been a while since I've watched an Adam Sandler movie, and that's by choice. Uh, but uh, I yeah, I think at the early part of it, I was just kind of groaning and found the jokes not funny, like weird recurring bits, a character who didn't really seem to be established in any way other than just Adam Sandler does a funny voice. Um, and so for a lot of it, I, I kind of wasn't on board, but around the middle to like last third of the movie, there's like this interesting thread of, of sweetness that comes up that I, I genuinely liked. And I actually, you know, felt strongly about it by the end that it was, it was arguing for, you know, kindness and inclusivity. And I, I appreciated that. Uh, and I, I didn't really expect it to go that way. Um, so yeah, there's a little more heart here, I think, than I was, than I was really expecting. Um, I feel like the aesthetics of it are kind of pleasant and Halloweeny. Um, it's, it's good. I think John, like you said, for like teen preteen viewing, it's like the kind of thing that I would associate with like maybe Halloween town, kind of a similar look and feel. Um, which is nice. It's a nice thing to have this time of year. Um, and I think there are some some jokes that I I did find genuinely funny toward the end. Uh, I feel like uh, Ray Liotta's character, who makes fun of Hubie a lot at the beginning, like weirdly becomes a more effective uh, a more effective foil the more the movie goes on. Which again was not a thing I was expecting. I fully expected him to just be kind of slumming it here. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a surprising amount of commitment and energy and production quality to this that I was genuinely kind of impressed with. And I think I can maybe not like excitedly recommend it, but if somebody texts me and asks if it's any good, I I will tell them that it's probably, you know, fine viewing and you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Like even just talking through it, I think what has, what you've said there has made me realize, I think, I think the things that I like the least are the things this movie thinks I'll like the most. And that's mainly Hubie himself. Like, I just don't really like this character. I don't, I think the voice is kind of weird. And I don't, I don't think a lot of his jokes or his delivery is like consistently funny, but it's the side characters I think are what make this thing worth it. Like I'm thinking now of like the jokes I laughed the most and they were things like, you know, a school teacher, you know, being like, like nice to him but then horrifically uh, cruel like randomly <laughs> and it's like stuff like that is is funny and like kevin james is kind of funny in this and tim meadows michael chiklis as this like preacher who's just like a horrible bully it's like i feel like they were making me laugh a lot but whenever the camera was on like adam sandler or even julie bowen who's like this weird love interest thing they have that doesn't really make sense <laughs> it's just kind of like okay like a little bit of wish fulfillment there i i don't know that stuff i thought was kind of weak but uh i guess as we're we're rounding out will what, what did you think of hubie himself and kind of the supporting cast in this um i guess i diverge a little bit from you two in that like i was pretty with it for the beginning like i was pleasantly surprised during the opening like um like you said like i won't give away who it is but there's a cameo that ties back to an earlier yeah. Adam Sandler movie. It's like, oh, wow, okay, cool. And then there's like another reference to uh, um, another earlier Adam Sandler movie. It's like, okay, I guess it's in the same universe. Why not? Let's let's make it a whole uh, MCU kind of thing. Uh, but no, I mean, like there's like a vomit joke in this where I was like, that's where it's kind of like, okay, I think I'm going to like this one a little bit more than your average Sandler movie. And I actually, I, I did enjoy uh, Julie Bowen in this. It was nice to see her reunited with Adam Sandler because I think they were in um, Billy Madison together, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, she was like, oh, were the love they really? In that. Yeah, wasn't she the love interest in Billy Madison? That was her. I think. Am I? What? Unless I'm, 
You can double check. I think it might actually be Happy Gilmore, but I'm Happy Gilmore. I might be mixing them up because I I too tend to mix those two up a bit. But I know she's love interest in this. But I know she was in. This is a reunion. I know they've been in something together before. But um, but yeah, no, I think I thought their their relationship together was pretty sweet and cute. And you know, I do agree that like, I think by the middle was kind of getting exact or a little bit exasperated by um, the character because there's just not a whole lot to it. And like you said, John, like it's just kind of the same thing over and over again to the point where it's like. Thankfully, the side characters, which I wasn't enamored by as much as you were, but I think they do kind of help to, uh, you know, pick the movie up during this like middle section where I think it does start to lag and it does kind of uh, sputter its wheels a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I do agree with you, Abby, in that the end is what I think really won me over again because I was kind of I, w- I was much more negative around the, the middle section because I was kind of getting tired of it and I was kind of think, all right, is this going to be like a one thing over and over again? And then the message, even though it is a little bit. Um, uh, I guess a little hypocritical that the movie spends the whole time laughing at hubby. And then it's like, Hey, don't laugh at him. I feel it's a little hypocritical, but at the same time, I do think the message is meant to be sweet. And I do think June squib uh, is by far the best thing about this movie. She's a treasure oh, yeah. and, and uh, all of her shirts and everything she does, her delivery is always great. I think she, she's a person that most consistently made me laugh throughout the thing. Same. But um, yeah, I, I think it's okay. Like I said, I I'm probably the most negative of the three, but I'm not really that negative on it. I think it's just an okay movie that, you know, it, it's nice as a Netflix thing, especially as a seasonal one. But it's not one I'm going to get like a lot out of compared to other uh, Sandler comedies, good or bad. It's just like a perfectly middle of the road movie for him, but not in a bad way. It's like, you know, it's it has its strengths and its weaknesses, I think, at once. You're right. She was in Happy Gilmore, which I I was just looking at photos. She looks kind of different. Like, I don't know. There's something I don't I, I, not in a bad way. She has aged extremely well, but I just never made that connection before that she's it's the same actress. So, all right, revelation for me. He does tend to work with his like love interest characters. Like he did two movies yeah. with Jennifer Aniston, three Bear, movies Drew with um, Drew Barrymore. So, you know, it yeah. seems like he's a really nice guy to work with. So that's good for sure. Uh, so, what was your final grade on this one? Well, oh, um, I'll give it like a gentleman's C plus. Like it's fine. Like it's like. A, yeah. a nice C plus. Like I, I think it means well. I think it's sweet. I don't. I didn't get a whole lot out of it, but I can see why other people are really enjoying this, and it's fine. It's okay. Yeah, I'm a high C plus. I, I think that like it's the kind of C plus where I think there's a good chance if you watch it and you know what you're in for, you'll you'll enjoy it. I just don't think it's gonna. I don't think anybody's gonna really love this thing. I don't think a lot of people are gonna watch it and be like, all right, this is like my favorite comedy of the year. You know, unless they just haven't had a chance to see a lot of comedies this year. But yeah, to what you're saying, I think that. It's it's a good chance if you are into the Adam Sandler thing, you'll probably have a decent time. If you don't like Adam Sandler in general, or if you're just, you know, if you're an uncut gems, funny people kind of Adam Sandler fan, punch drunk love, and you really are turned off by the other ones, this might this might be a little tougher sit for you. Uh, but what about you, Abby? Where do you land? I think I'm I'm kind of in the same camp as the two of you. Um, I appreciate the the effort that is put in, especially toward the end, I think it kind of kind of pulls out in a way that I wasn't fully expecting. Um, and I, I, I like that. I, I was not, I, I think I was expecting this to be just kind of a chronic underachiever and it ended up being something slightly more than that. And I kind of am rooting for it, but yeah, I think it's a, I, I think a solid C plus is a good, a good grade to give this. I think it could be, there, there are a lot of things that could be, you know, a little more uh, adult about it, but uh, I think for what it is, it's pretty fun. Well, Hubie has enough bullies. None of us are one of them. We are uh, mild, mildly enthusiastic about this one. C plus is all around. But all right, that is Hubie Halloween. And even though C plus seems like a low grade, I feel like on this sort of curve, that's not bad for one of these Netflix Adam Sandler movies, which yeah. tend to be much lower. I mean, that's why I mean by gentleman C plus. Like it's like yeah. not positive, but it's like not negative either. Just like it's fine. All right, I'm here with extra milestone host Sam Nolan for a nice little sidebar, nice little moment away from the monotony of Cinemaholics. Hey, Sam. Hey, John. It's good to be here. And listen. Let's just cut right to the chase. We have a great podcast for the listeners to check out. That's right. We're here to tell you about the Pop Culture Show, which is one of the top pop culture podcasts. It's awesome. They have amazing guests, really funny segments, which I know our listeners, they're all about funny segments. Mm -hmm. And my favorite part, they have some incredible giveaways, Sam. 
Yeah, these giveaways are not something that you're going to want to just just blink twice at, if that even means anything. And it's, I'll, I'll have you know that all three of the hosts, Barnes, Leslie, and Cubby, have been in radio and television for many years, many more than us, as a matter of fact, and have tons of connections to real in guests that other podcasts just don't have access to. So this is what sets the yes. pop culture show apart. Yes. As podcasters ourselves, we know getting, getting guests is actually really hard. <laughs> uh, it does take a lot of experience and connections and all that fun stuff. And you will definitely get that with the Pop Culture Show. But okay, you want to hear about the giveaway. Yeah. I do too. So this month, the Pop Culture Show is giving away a free, that's right, free four-night stay to one of the best resorts in the Caribbean. Now, I'm from the Caribbean, um, so I definitely put my stamp of approval on this place. It's called Cat Maison Resort and Spots in St. Lucia. It is awesome. Mm. And Sam, how do I, how do I qualify to... Uh, get this free four-night stay. How do I do it? John, I'll tell you. Now, you're probably thinking that it's a very complicated process, lots of digital hoops to jump through. Not this giveaway. To get qualified for this four-night stay, all you have to do is listen to the pop culture show. That's all That's it right. takes. Yeah. Very simple. Now, if you're wondering, okay, well, I want to listen. Where are the episodes? All right, here's all that info. Pretty mm -hmm. easy. They have new episodes dropping every Monday at 10 a.m. Again, that's Monday at 10 a.m. Mondays at 10 a.m. And so, yeah, just subscribe to the Pop Culture Show on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio app, anywhere you get podcasts. They're all over the place. Sam and I were talking earlier about how annoying it is sometimes that some podcasts, they, they're hard to find. Like you're trying yeah. to, I just want to subscribe. And uh, this is one of the pop culture shows, one of the ones that makes it pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is your, your one-stop shop, so to speak, for the latest celebrity news, funny observations from the massive, ever-expanding world of pop culture, and just an all-around fun podcast for you to check out, which I know is never a bad selling point. It is the pop culture show. That is a big reason we wanted to share it with you. We all we know you all want to have some fun. You'll definitely get that with the pop culture show. But okay, you can get more info on the pop culture show and of course that free vacation mm. by going to thepopcultureshow.com. So easy. Thepopcultureshow.com. Check it out. You will be glad you did. All right, let's move on to another film. This one is definitely a a hard turn in the other direction. Uh, although, so I haven't seen this, but I know it's billed also as a horror comedy. But of course, it's a much more indie film. This is the new American film, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. This film was directed and written and it stars Jim Cummings. I said that in a weird way. It stars Jim Cummings, who also wrote and directed it. That's probably a more elegant way to say that. And uh, this, this also saw, stars Ricky Lindholm, Chloe East, Jimmy Tatro, Robert Forster. And uh, this is the final film role, I believe, for Robert Forster as well. So this is this just hit VOD a week, uh, not a week ago, a few days ago. And uh, I'm definitely going to watch this. I have it queued up and ready to go. I just did not have the time, but it's been getting some pretty decent reviews. And Abby, Will, you both saw it. I guess we'll turn it to you, Will. Ashton, what is The Wolf of Snow Hollow? And what did you think of this new film? Yeah, so like you said, it's the second, or I guess I guess the third film from Jim Cummings. It follows a similar path to his uh, indie darling from a few years ago called Thunder Road, which is focused on a um, kind of eccentric cop who's going through like a personal midlife crisis with his daughter this movie does this is something. his second film i believe because i think thunder road was his first he did a short film version of it yeah but if you're but talking he, about feature he did like a film and i think in like 2012 that was like 70 something minutes so i think that's technically his first feature but it was like a micro indie so like by and large like thunder road's kind of like considered his debut but yeah i would um, say that but yeah i mean uh similar to that film yeah we're kind of following in uh centric cop character uh, following in the shadow of his father, played by Robert Forrester, who's on the verge of retirement, but he doesn't want to be like he is very uh, stern about trying to keep his position. But as he is going through these personal troubles, there is a murderous uh, criminal of some sort going around the town. Some people believe it is a werewolf, but other people are a lot more speculative, including Jim Cummings character. And uh, it's basically just following the cops. They're trying to figure out this mystery going around town while these people are being horrifically murdered. Uh, it has kind of like a Fargo feel in that respect. 
with like more of a horror aesthetic to it. But it also is very much a Jim Cummings film in that it, it does mostly tend to be a like drama slash dark comedy about this uh, fairly uh, hard to read guy who is struggling with his alcoholism and his dysfunction with his family, including his uh, ex-wife. And it's just basically just trying to figure out his whole horror deal while there's a potential werewolf going around town killing people. All right. What did you think, Abby? I'm very intrigued by this so far. Yeah, um, I think it uh, definitely. I feel like a lot of Jim Cummings work, like between this and Thunder Road, uh, there's there's a lot of character study on just really troubled people. Um, I think it's interesting that Cummings has played the main character going through that kind of transformative experience both times, uh, which makes it, I don't know, feel very personal. I don't know if that's the case, but I, I'd like to think that it is. Um, I think there's a really strong metaphor that runs throughout this, uh, especially of just, I, I know it sounds kind of cliche, but like what if the real man monster was man all along? Um, but there's, there's definitely a feeling in that of uh, kind of digging into the, uh, the interior issues that uh his character john is dealing with and seeing the way that those often manifest as kind of monstrous tendencies um and there's there's a lot there's a lot of depth there in a way that i think maybe isn't fully billed in in the trailer for this it seems like a fairly straightforward horror comedy but really it's it's a much more uh introspective drama that happens to have some horror elements to it um, and also, I think it's worth noting Robert Forster's performance in this, not just because it's one of his last on film, but also because it is so good. Like it is maybe the best that I've seen from him in a long time. It's very natural. And he and Cummings bounce off of each other really, really well. Um, it made me miss him a lot, but it also made me really grateful that uh, Jim Cummings was able to get such a good performance out of him, which I mean, it's not hard. It's just really nice to see him featured uh, so strongly in a movie like this. Um, and yeah, I think all the performances are really good. Um, the central mystery is, um, I think there are times when it feels like it gets kind of, uh, abandoned, uh, in favor of the, uh, the kind of interiority plot. But, um, once, once, uh, John's kind of personal failings are more directly addressed, it goes right back to kind of solving that mystery in a way that I think is really satisfying. Interesting. Yeah. So I was going to ask, um, well, first of all, I do want to clarify because we've been talking about Jim Cummings and it did sort of occur to me that some people might uh, think we're talking yeah, about not the Winnie the Pooh. the Pooh voice actor. <laughs> I just had that thought too. <laughs> yeah. I know. I yeah. Definitely important to clear up. So this is a totally different person. Jim Cummings is uh, this is a much younger Jim Cummings, first of all. And yeah, the Thunder Road director is like, I think in his like mid thirties or something like that. And then the other Jim Cummings you've probably heard of is the legendary voice actor. Yes, that's correct. We are we are talking about younger indie filmmaker Jim Cummings. We can just call him Jimmy Cummings if we. Need Jimmy. To <laughs> I think his Twitter handle is Jimmy C. That's me. So we could probably call him Jimmy C. Jimmy C. That's me. The whole thing, though. Yeah. So you know, I, since I didn't see it, I do want to ask a question. It. Uh, so I see Hollywood Reporter uh, had a review of this. John DeFore said this is a satisfying enough as a horror slasher flick with a black comedy aftertaste. It has some commercial appeal, but doesn't represent a step forward artistically. Will, what do you think of that assessment? Agree, disagree? Well, that's the thing. I mean, I really like Thunder Road. I think that was a really so strong um, debut or introduction, at least, to Jim Cummings as a filmmaker, as well as an actor and uh, screenwriter. And I think this movie, uh, by and large, I think it's a mess. <laughs> Um, as far as like, I, I think he's, I think he's smart about, he's taking the elements that worked really well in Thunder Road and he just like, well, what if there was a horror element going on and also Robert Forrester is there. And I agree with you with that, with Abby in that, um, I think Robert Forrester is really good in this and I, I'm kind of sad that he's not in it more, but I think the scenes that we do get with Robert Forrester, especially considering that it is his last performance or at least one of the last ones, uh, is really touching and sweet. And I think those are some of the best moments in the film. Um, but I just don't think he quite balances the genre elements here. I think by the end, he starts to like, I think it kind of finds its sure footing by the second half, which is why I'm a little bit more receptive to the film, I think, overall. But I think in the beginning, especially in the first like 40 ish minutes, I think it's like all over the place tonally. I think the comedy is like a little bit over diluted at times to the point where it, it, it kind of undermines, I think, the like 
severity of the character study that they're doing. And I also feel like um, Ricky, uh, I, I forget her last name, but she's uh, Lindholm. Uh, yeah, Lindholm. I think she's good in this, but I don't think she really gets a lot to do, unfortunately, which is a shame. Is she funny? She... Because she's really funny in other things. That's one of the things I'm very curious about. Um, She's like dryly funny. She doesn't really get a lot to do, though. Like she's she's around a lot, but she doesn't like her character isn't fully fleshed out, I don't think. But I mean, you know, she does the part commendably well. I think she just kind of feels like a character that's not fully formed in this, in my opinion. But I think that's where I stand on the film overall is I think I think there's something really interesting here. It comes out at times. And I think it's very apparent that Jim Cummings is a very good filmmaker. And I think he's obviously super talented. And I think it's definitely his style. And I, I think he has a assurance to him as a filmmaker. that's really exciting and uh, intriguing to watch. And I'll definitely keep up with whatever he has next. So I think he's on the verge of making some really great art. But I, I feel like this is a very much a sophomore effort in that, like, it kind of feels like he's trying to expand himself, trying to do different things. And I don't think all those horror slash like kind of dark comedy elements fully work for me as far as like what they're trying to do it interwoven with the more serious character stuff. But it is a fascinating mess, I'll say. All right. And I think, Abby, you probably have something to say. I want to hear what you think about uh, Ricky Lindholm, of course, but then also, yeah, the, some of this artistic balance as we start to move into final thoughts here. Yeah, um, I think... There's there's probably something to be said for this being kind of Thunder Road, but with werewolves. Um, I think there's there's maybe a, there's a lot of similarities there. And I I could see if you were somebody who was really impressed by that movie and then watched this and saw a lot of the same elements that you would be interested in seeing, uh, seeing Jim Cummings kind of branch out a little bit more. Um, but I still think that it's it's executed really well. I think it gets at some really strong ideas. I feel like this is a way to bring people who might not usually engage with um, with a movie like Thunder Road, maybe, um, or like with more dramatic character study elements into a, a space where they are suddenly going to have to, uh, which I think is really interesting. Um, yeah, it's I think the tonal balance struggles at times, but it, it finds its way in the end. And mostly I think it's just it's a really interesting uh, it's a really interesting genre experiment to watch. Uh, even if it doesn't always work, but I think the performances are really good. I think uh, Ricky Lindholm, you're right, doesn't get a ton uh, of of range to express, but she gets a lot out of just getting to be the most competent and level-headed character in a given scene a lot of the time. Um, and I think her character does get what she deserves in a, in a positive way by the end of the movie. Um, so it recognizes that, that competency in her, but uh, she also just doesn't always necessarily get to be as 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 funny as you might expect, given her her background, Abby, what would be your final grade for this one? I I really enjoyed this a lot. I would give it. Uh, I think I would give it an A minus. Just personally, I I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I like the performances in it. I feel like the the strengths definitely outweigh uh, any of its other uh, maybe minor structural issues. Um, I I think it's probably going to end up being one of my favorites of the year. I know it's not a perfect film, but I still think it's really good. Yeah, I think you've definitely made it sound more than anything pretty idiosyncratic, which is what has me more interested. I get, you know, I, I'm expecting now a film that definitely won't be as cohesive as maybe some of my favorite films in this genre can be, but I'm definitely in the mood for a film like this. So you definitely sold me on it. Um, Will Ashton, what about you? What's your what's your final grade on this one? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm a little bit more negative than the consensus is, and certainly, I guess, compared to Abby. I mean, I did... I enjoyed it more than I didn't, particularly because I agree with Abby. I, I think by the end, he does kind of figure out his groove. And I think it, it does kind of come into its own by the end. I, I do think what it communicates as far as its themes and messages by the end is intriguing. I just don't think the road there quite works. Like, I think it's kind of all over the place tonally, like you were saying. And I think it's not quite able to balance all the different genres in a way that I think makes it completely satisfying. Like if you were to go into this as a horror movie or a dark comedy in the vein of like Fargo or whatever. But I, I think it's apparent that Jim Cummings is really coming into his own as a filmmaker. I, I think he's definitely smart about it as far as being an indie filmmaker. I think he's kind of gradually working his way up and um, I'm very intrigued to see what comes next. I'm hoping this is like kind of like a minor hiccup in that like I think his other movies are hopefully going to be like really great. Uh, and I think this one is solid enough that it's at least very intriguing enough for me that I'm I'm willing to overlook some of its flaws. 
and uh, recognize a filmmaker who's doing some really interesting work. But for me, I'll give it like a low B minus. I, I enjoyed the ride by the end. And obviously, I think uh, if anything, it just needed more Robert Forrester, because I think most movies need more Robert Forrester. But it was really nice to see him get this final uh, rodeo. And uh, I, I, I think Jim Cummings is on the path of doing something very fascinating as a filmmaker. But this one, it's not Thunder Road for me, but not a lot of films are Thunder Road. So uh, a, a, small, a small minor, but relatively enthusiastic B minus for me. All right, quite a discrepancy this week. It's an A minus for Abby, a low B minus for Will Ashton. So, uh, right now, you can decide for yourselves. You can check it out on video on demand. And it's also playing in limited select theaters. Uh, there was actually a drive in that was playing this. There might be some drive in availability for some of you listeners as well. And uh, hopefully, you'll all enjoy it. So, that is The Wolf of Snow Hollow. All right, let's talk about a film that I believe just came out on Netflix this past week or a couple of days ago by the time you're listening to this. This is the 40-year-old version, which, Abby, you had a chance to watch. Uh, Will and I did not catch it. This is the directorial debut of Rada Blink. It was a film. It was actually written and directed by her, and it stars her. So this is another, you know, in the same vein as Wolf Snow Hollow there. But yeah, this is a comedy that premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. I didn't get a chance to see it there. But it's definitely been on my radar. It's something that I think a lot of people have been championing now that's finally getting its due. It's a long film, 129 minutes, so a little over two hours. But uh, Lena Waithe produced this along with a host of other people. Definitely getting a lot of attention as a, a film worth seeking out. But Abby, what what is the deal with 40-year-old version? That's quite the film title. I know. And I think it's I think the 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 comparisons to, you know, 40-year-old virgin are probably uh, I, I think I, I think they're probably a little bit intentional. Um, there's there's some kind of questioning about where you're at at that spot in your life um, in both of them and considering ideas of arrested development and growth. Um, but yeah, it's about uh, Rada played by Rada Blank. I think it's kind of a, a semi autobiographical film for her. Um, who is a playwright? She received a uh, award as a talented thirty under thirty playwright, um, but hasn't really been able to do anything since. She's a teacher at an after-school program uh, in Harlem, and she is trying to get her new play uh, produced, but is having difficulty finding people who are interested in producing it. Um, and she's she's kind of assisted by her high school best friend Archie, who's also her agent. Um, and so as she is trying to get her new play produced, she also kind of rediscovers uh, a love of uh, of rapping that she picks up from her students and uh, kind of picks up her old her old talent and ability to to uh, to write really good rhymes and decides that she wants to produce a mixtape. So she is kind of torn between two um, two parts of her life the uh, the kind of theatrical professional side in which she feels that she has to uh, capitulate to uh, rich white interests a lot of the time. And she is worried about becoming a sellout. Uh, and this other side of her, the the rap side of her, which um, she gets criticized for because of her age. She's like 39, about to turn 40. Um, but she feels is much more authentic to her experiences and what she actually wants to produce uh, artistically. Um, so she kind of goes on, goes on a journey there. And uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the the rhymes that she creates are specific to her experience as an artist, her uh, experience as a forty year old woman, and um, all of the uh, physical and emotional changes that are going along with that. Um, I I like this movie a lot. I think it's very sweet and uh, and very genuine. Um, I feel like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of influence, good influence from from other filmmakers. I think most specifically, I noticed a lot of uh, Cheryl Dunye, who made uh, The Watermelon Woman, um, and uh, also early Spike Lee. Uh, just a very strong connection to uh, a very strong connection to place and community and the characters that uh, that live in that community, uh, not just Rada. So, like, there are a lot of interviews with uh, with people on the street, the guy who runs her bodega. Um, clips with her students um, that that don't feel hyper written. Uh, they feel very natural and unrehearsed. Um, I think her interactions with all of the other characters around her feel very genuine uh, and her embodiment of herself uh, as a as a 
uh, 40-year-old woman. I believe Rada Blank herself is 44. Um, but just engaging with yourself at that point in your life, it feels like she is very much taking a look at herself and her needs and her desires and her personality and also all of the things that she's done up in her life in her life up to that point and how she feels about them. So it feels like a real genuine reckoning. And she's very, I mean, she's very generous with the people around her and also herself, um, the, the places where she needs to grow and the things that she's genuinely proud of. Yeah, this this film has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's one of the highest rated films of the year right now. And uh, I saw Justin Chang had a review for it on the LA Times. And uh, I'm curious what you think of this assessment, Abby. He says, the sly achievement of the 40-year-old version is to turn a critical eye on the very idea of success by whose standards and to ponder exactly what level of compromise is acceptable to secure it. So I'm curious what you think of his statement there and uh, if that factors into your final grade. Oh, for sure. I think it definitely does. Um, questions about uh, artistic integrity and compromise and uh, yeah, and the meaning of success, uh, professional versus personal, and if there really should be a divide between the two. Um, and I think it, yeah, it, it comes down on, um, it comes down on it in a way that I think feels very mature and thoughtful, um, from somebody who clearly has had to think about this a lot. Um, and it's really enjoyable to, to watch, uh, her character go through that process and know that that's something that feels very personal to Rada Blank as an artist herself. Uh, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching this. I think it's really charming. Um, and there's also a lot going on artistically. I would give it, uh, I would, I would also give it an A minus. I'm very positive on this one. And I think a lot of people it's, it, it's the kind of thing that I think Netflix hasn't been super great about marketing it, unfortunately. Um, but it's the kind of thing that I think when people find it, they will really enjoy watching it and they will be happy that they have invested the time in it. Yeah, this has been such a strong year for Sundance films. You know, even just in like the last two weeks, uh, last week we had Dick Johnson is Dead, which you also had a really high grade for, and then this one this week. So that's really great to, to see these Sundance films getting a little bit more attention. Sometimes they get buried because this is the time of year where we're still, you know, dealing with New York Film Festival and TIFF. But yeah, and I think, Will, you started 40-year-old version and are planning to finish this one pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realize how long it was. It's a, it's a little over two hours, so I thought it was a shorter film. So I didn't get a chance to finish it, but I did watch a decent bit of it. And uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. Um, it has that kind of like shaggy 90s Sundance feel that I, you just don't see a lot these days. And it's really kind of fun and refreshing to see that again. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of bummed because it is shot on 35 millimeter that we there wasn't a traditional theatrical release for this. But obviously, you know, like, things just the way they are right now i'm glad that it's getting a wide release as it is and uh you know it's a shame that netflix isn't promoting it more but i am looking forward to checking out the rest and i'm encouraged to hear that uh abby is so strong on the film absolutely all right that is the 40 year old version you can watch it right now on netflix all right let's talk about another film that premiered at sundance and it's a film similarly that you can catch on streaming this is charm city kings which is now released on HBO Max. This was one of my like surprise favorites of the festival. It's a very unassuming film artistically, but it has such a good like formula to it. So Charm City Kings stars um, Jahi Diallo Winston. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, young performer in here. He plays a character named Mouse who absolutely loves like the world of um, not competitive necessarily, but like kind of competitive in like showboating, um, motorcycle racing or dirt bike racing. And this takes place in Baltimore. This is a very Baltimore film for sure. And it, it's basically about a kid who he loves fixing up bikes. He looks up to it and sort of like their like, like rundown corner of town. Um, he looks up to this guy who has like this reputation as a very, uh, very, very like, I, I guess badass is the, the way to put it <laughs> character who is kind of like known as like, maybe he bends the rules a little bit. Maybe he, uh, is and maybe into some like criminal elements and mouse and his group of friends start to maybe dive into like, Oh, maybe we can do that. Maybe we can like, um, get into this world of like crime mixed in with like racing and, and do all these crazy things like that. 
And this this film is really satisfying. Like it has a really good structure to it. You've seen films kind of like doing this sort of thing. I think Meek Mill uh, is the one who plays this character named uh, Blacks and very understated performance, but very effective as well. And it's just one of those films where I felt like I could watch this um, with anybody who like likes films like Stomp the Yard, you know, anything, anything that's kind of like, all right, you kind of see where this is going. You see that this kid has to make a decision of like who he's going to be, his future. And uh, he has like this kind of like journey that he goes on trying to maybe not uh, follow the same mistakes as like we open the film with uh, this character he's very close with who uh, dies from just some like really reckless um, behavior. And that, that reckless behavior is like the source of the film's biggest thrills, which is like, you see these people like no helmets, (laughs) just like driving these bikes and stuff and doing these incredible tricks. And I think what makes this film kind of go from like B to B plus is the stunt work. Stunt work in this is so satisfying. Uh, I have to say it's based on 12 o'clock boys, which is a documentary uh, same kind of deal where it actually covers the real life inspiration of this, which are like these like dirt bike riders who kind of they want to like join this group, it, you know, this group that has a lot of credibility in their community, even though they are kind of mixed in with some unsavory elements. So like the drama of it all is really satisfying. The The main performance here from Jahi, I think he, he is most of the time he's really great to watch and i think he pulls this off really well he comes into his own a lot more as the film goes on the very beginning he is that sort of like earnest character who the whole time we're thinking why can't you be smarter you know even though he's a kid or why do you have to have these like weird dreams that don't seem that interesting to us but the film over time builds its case for like why he is the way he is why he has this like rivalry with his best friend that turns into something a little bit more nuanced and yeah I, I definitely definitely recommend this anybody who has hbo max and they want to watch something new and they've been kind of waiting for something good to watch this is definitely something that'll because it's streaming it's really accessible uh, really great soundtrack by alex summers it's just one of those films that like everything in it is just really tight right you know there's nothing in it that's like totally mind-blowing or anything like that but in terms of like the material and everything i just think that it it just has like flavor to it. It has energy. It has, um, like I mentioned before, the from the stunt choreography to the performances being really balanced. This is just a really satisfying film. And I I forgot to mention this too, but uh, one of one of the um, story credits goes to Barry Jenkins, and you can kind of tell he adds a lot of that like authenticity of this like the experience had by these characters to the film as well. So yeah, I, I'm an enthusiastic uh, B plus for charm city kings i hope both of you check it out it's definitely uh definitely a film if you're looking to watch with other people too i think it's pretty accessible and pretty you know pretty easy to watch it's a little long as well a little over two hours like 125 minutes but definitely worth all of those minutes yeah i'm uh i'm excited to check it out and i i think yeah sorry i was i was just looking up uh jahi diallo winston on this and he was one of the stars of everything sucks i believe uh that's right years yeah. back which was yeah a show that i really enjoyed and i thought he was very good in we talked about that show on cinemaholics yeah 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 i'm i'm uh i'm excited to see him i i'm excited to see his star continue to rise because i feel like he is a really good performer agreed yeah, and I forgot to mention uh, this was directed by Angel Manuel Soto, who I haven't seen anything by this director before, but uh, definitely on my radar now. I'm excited to see it as well. And I believe we were going to play it at our theater where I work at one point before uh, COVID prevented such a thing from happening. So I'm glad that HBO Max has made it available, and uh, I hope to check it out soon. And hopefully a lot of you will as well. So that is Charm City Kings. It's available to stream now on HBO Max. All right, we just have one last film for you all. Now, Will's going to sort of explain this. Uh, there's this new thing called Welcome to the Blumhouse. Will's going to explain mm-hmm. what that is. And this is one of the first films to come out, if not the very first one. Uh, it's called The Lie, which is technically a 2018 film that uh, premiered at the Toronto National Film Festival uh, September 2018. So yeah, like two years ago. And it's finally getting its release on Amazon. You can watch it on Amazon Prime right now, actually. And it's one of several films that Blumhouse is releasing in October that is definitely of the horror psychological thriller vibe. 
But Will Ashen, what is the lie? Who is in it? And why did you pick this one as the first Welcome to the Blumhouse film to discuss? Well, a couple of reasons. I mean, for one, this is probably the most high profile of the two that came out on Tuesday because it has Joey King as well as Pierce Sarsgaard. And uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the actress. I recognize her, but um, blanking on her name. Oh, uh, Mallory Enos, I believe. Um, I'm probably. Oh, Mirella Enos. Mirella yeah. Enos, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's basically, yeah, like a kind of like chamber thriller where um, it's, it's also based on a 2015 German film called We Monsters, which I haven't seen admittedly, but um, the film itself very contained and uh, all it really focuses on without giving away too much is um, this fun- dysfunctional family dynamic where um, the father who's like this struggling musician and then the uh, mother who's like a little bit more, you know, uh, buttoned down and uh, uh, focused and as far as her uh, career ambitions are balancing parental duties between their daughter, who is now 15. Um, and they are trying to establish kind of a dynamic now that they're divorced and they go uh, to have breakfast and the father ends up unwillingly picking up the friend of Joey King's character and something happens where they have to basically cover up for her because some the various things happen and they're trying to figure out how they can go about that without her, the daughter, Joey King's character uh, being locked up for a long time. And it's a very simple premise. And I think the reason it was on the shelf for a little over two years and now is kind of getting thrust onto uh, Amazon Prime through this collective uh, bundle of um, streaming TV movies is that it's not very good, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Um, it's not, I don't think it's quite as bad as some people are making it out to seem because reviews so far have been quite negative. And I, I think the main reason why is that it has a premise that I think in the German film was probably a lot more, I guess, varied, a lot more layered as far as its approach. But in its American execution, it feels like some of the themes are kind of getting lost. And they're trying to be a bit like obtuse to the point where it feels a little bit more bland and muddled. Like we don't fully get the uh, a full understanding of the characters, a full idea of who they are beyond the like thrust of the story. And uh, I think the performers, especially Joey King, who is really coming into her own as a young actress, are doing a lot of the heavy lifting here to kind of uh, lift up what's a fairly muddled and not evolve or not uh, involving script and uh, trying to make it work. But it just doesn't really come together. Unfortunately, it's not really much of a horror film either. I, I think it's mostly just a thriller with some mild horror elements thrown in. And the worst part about it is I think there's an end twist that I, I don't know if it was meant to be comedic or if it was like trying to be like profound or something, but it just doesn't work. It, it would be more believable um, without giving away. It would be more believable if it was revealed that like Pierce Arsgard was Joey King the whole time. Like that would be more believable than what the ending is for this film, which is unfortunate because um, it wasn't very good to begin with. And then the end kind of just makes it worse than it already was. So unfortunately, this is a not great way to uh, start this festival. I think I, I think it's a very interesting idea. The Welcome to Blumhouse thing where it, like, you know, you give these smaller movies a big platform especially now when there aren't theaters to go to and people really want these uh ecleptic core movies to check out through a Blumhouse uh banner but this one just kind of feels like they didn't know what to do with it didn't really have uh anything about it beyond Joey King's involvement to really make it uh accessible to a wide audience I think they just kind of just threw it in here with these other movies that I believe were produced for this series just because they they wanted to get it off their hands I think which is a shame because, like I said, it's not very good and it doesn't seem like it's getting much of a uh, warm critical or audience response. And, uh, yeah, not a, not a fun way to start this uh, series, unfortunately. Yeah, it's definitely got some uh, middling reviews so far. It's got a 45 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's only out of 42 reviews. I have a feeling a lot of those are TIFF and not a lot of people have been reviewing this since it dropped on Amazon Prime. But, yeah, I'll read the this, the Rotten Tomatoes consensus, which is pretty brutal it says queasily compelling without ever truly coming together the lie won't fool many viewers seeking worthwhile horror fare that's pretty that's pretty negative i think it's because it's average rating even though it's 45 percent, the average rating is 5.35 which is actually really low for uh especially a, a horror film that kind of like on the festival circuit like they tend to be pretty 
like better rated than this. So that's, that is a surprise to see. But all right, so that is the lie. It sounds like it's maybe not worth checking out unless you're really curious, but it is pretty accessible. You can check it out. And uh, Will, I know there's some other uh, Welcome to Blumhouse films that are going to be coming out soon. There's also Black Box, which you saw, which we might have time to discuss a little bit next week. That's another Sundance film, actually. But would you recommend Black Box over the lie? Not to get into it. I, I don't think that one quite works either, but it's definitely better than the lie. I, I, I think that one's okay. a lot more intriguing. And I, I would like to discuss that more if, if you or um, any of the listeners check that out, because I think the idea there is very intriguing. It's basically... The, the log line would basically be like if you took the Eternal Sunshine machine and you took it to a sunken place, like that's like the basic idea of the film, wow. which is very intriguing in like a kind of Black Mirror sort of way. But uh, yeah, I have more to say about that next week. Yeah, I think we'll we'll definitely make some time for more of these Blumhouse films. I almost thought about doing like a whole bonus episode just for them at some point in October, but we can probably squeeze them into Cinemaholics. It's just October is a stacked month. We were just talking off the air, like what we're going to be covering. There's quite a lot. So definitely keep your eyes on the Cinemaholics feed for all kinds of reviews coming up in the month of October. I do think it's kind of strange that this month we aren't getting any sort of like high profile horror films or anything that's like of a big budget uh, as far as I understand, um, that's like in the horror genre. Not that horror films tend to be pretty big budget, but <laughs> I guess uh, I guess it's just that that kind of year. This year has been a strange one, but we'll be covering all kinds of films, hitting streaming and indie releases over the next few weeks. But all right, that'll do it for our show this week. Thank you as always for listening. If you'd like to connect with us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, our show notes have links to all of that stuff, including our Cinemaholics merch, our Patreon all kinds of stuff we discussed here on the show. And you can also follow the three of us on Twitter. I'm at John Negroni. And Abby, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, at Abby Olchesi, A-B-B-Y-O-L-C-E-S-E is where you can find me. Yeah. And what do you have like a big plug for this week? Anything cool you've been working on? Um, I have some things coming out. Um, let's see. I, there's a, a movie coming out on Shutter on uh, October 15th called The Mortuary Collection that I'm actually quite fond oh, of. And yeah. I, uh, yeah, it's really fun. And I got to do an interview with uh, the director of it, as well as Clancy Brown, who is the star, uh, who yeah. you might recognize from like literally every movie ever. <laughs> so uh, that uh, interview should be running on uh, the pitch website sometime uh, before the 15th. So like early in the week. And uh, you can also read the review that I wrote of that from Fantasia, which is also currently up at the pitch. All right. Definitely check all of that out and follow Abby on Twitter to find even more. Will Ashton, we've got more of your TIFF reviews coming out this yeah. week, slowly but right. surely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, I think you have a, a new one out as of a couple of days ago that mm -hmm. people can check out. Uh, I think it's I Am Greta. Yeah, the Hulu documentary, which I believe uh, comes out uh, the first week of November around election. So if you want to hear my early thoughts on that, check out that review. Yes, definitely follow Will on Twitter as well as we have more TIFF reviews coming out under his pen name, which just happens to be the same name he uses all the time, just Will Ashton. But all right, that'll do it for our show this week. I haven't been up to anything, unfortunately. I almost wrote a, uh, a fan theory about Avatar The Last Airbender, but then I literally had zero time. <laughs> so maybe that's going to be coming out at some point. Basically, I'm working on a theory of um, if there's flat earthers in Avatar The Last Airbender universe. It's terrible, but it's coming. So um, hopefully that'll be out soon. But all right, that'll do it for our show this week. Thank you, as always, for listening. From the Internet California, I am John Negroni. From the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. From the internet Kansas City, I'm Abby Olchesi. See you next time.